Well, once again, if you have joined us since the beginning of our service this morning, we want to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're grateful to be in the presence of Him, to be in the presence of Him with you is a great delight, a treasure that we do not take for granted, and look forward now to be able to sit in the Lord's Word and to hear directly from Him by the power of His Spirit. And we're resting that He will meet us there, that He will promise, as He promises in the Word, to fulfill that which He has spoken to us, that He won't leave us in that silent disarray, as we sang just a second ago, but that He will speak to us the words of life and of light. Well, if you'll notice in your bulletin this morning, you might turn to page uh, 8 and 9. It's our reading of our text, but then right after the reading of our text, I just want to note this morning the addition of the element known as prayers of the people. Um, Occasionally and usually around the various seasons of the church calendar, we'll make um, slight uh, changes to our order of worship. Even this morning in our confession of sin, you likely uh, noticed that we arose out of our silent singing today, which we have been uh, doing that in prayer for the last season. And so you'll notice some slight changes such as that to both encourage and refresh us uh, in the midst of worship and to draw our attention to some of the themes that we're seeking the Lord's face for. And One of our prayers over the course of the next six weeks as we are in the midst of the Lenten season looking forward to Good Friday and to Easter is to weave in prayer um, the message of the gospel into our hearts more deeply as a congregation. And so we'll get the chance together today immediately following uh, the preaching of God's word to uh, go into the prayers of the people. And you'll notice that I will pray those italicized uh, words and then uh, lead us with a refrain and you will respond, Lord, uh, hear our prayer. And so as I pray at the end of the message this morning, just uh, be listening for our movement into the prayers of the people and ask the Lord um, to take the word that he's going to speak to us now from from Mark chapter 6 and begin to answer it prayerfully in your life and in our life together as a congregation. We're in Mark chapter 6. We're at the um, nearing the uh, end of this uh, section in uh, the gospel of Mark in a very well-known passage, maybe one of the most well-known of Jesus's miracles, the feeding uh, of the 5,000. We're going to pick up our reading in verse 30 and we'll carry it forward to verse Forty-four. This is God's word. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them and going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and had got there ahead of them. When he, that's Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, 
you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, Well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, what a tremendous miracle this is. And what an amazing display of power. And what a beautiful portrait of your love for us in giving to us the true bread that comes down from heaven, even Jesus himself. Would you come now and do the miracle that you did here in these words in Mark chapter 6? Would you feed a needy and helpless group of sheep with yourself? Come and meet with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll notice that phrase in this text. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Well, some of you may be aware that's not a phrase that Jesus is coining in this moment. It's not even a, a Markan addition to the, to the text to commentate uh, on Jesus, though it is certainly that. It's borrowed from Numbers uh, chapter 27. It's actually out of a prayer that Moses himself prayed, a prayer for the people of Israel as he had led them through the wilderness for many years. Now that 40-year mark is coming after their wilderness wandering. And Moses is going to die. He's not going to go into the promised land. He's not going to lead the people of Israel into Canaan across that Jordan River. And he's praying to the Lord that the Lord would lift up, would raise up someone who would take his place. A, a leader who could, could don the mantle of shepherding the, the sheep, the people of Israel into the next unfolding of redemptive history. And of course, who Moses was praying for would be Joshua. In the Hebrew, Yeshua. In the Greek, Jesus. He was praying for Jesus. <laughs> now, in a very real sense, when Moses is praying that in Numbers, he doesn't know the name Jesus. We don't have Mark 6 yet. We don't have the birth of Christ yet. But in an ultimate sense, when Moses is praying for the leader of the people of Israel, he's not praying just for Joshua. 
He's praying for Jesus. He's praying for the true shepherd of the sheep of God's people. Mark is teaching us something about what it means to need a shepherd and to have one who is perfectly suited for the needs of sheep like us. As we look at this text together, I want to look at it under the the heading of the perfect shepherd. Because that's what we have in this text. We have the perfect shepherd who's, who's going to let people lay down on green grass. And he's going he's, he's to feed them beside the still waters. He is going to restore their soul in this text. And this perfect good shepherd who's going to do that in this desolate place, in this wilderness-like environment, this Jesus who is the true good shepherd shows us the characteristics of the kind of shepherd we need. And it's here to assure our hearts. I want you to see three things about Jesus, our perfect shepherd leader. I want you to see that he knows what we really need. That's the first thing we see about Jesus. He knows what we really need. The second thing we see about Jesus in this text is he never tires of being interrupted by our needs. (laughs) He never tires of being interrupted by our needs. And thirdly, He is the only one who can provide for us that which we need. He's a perfect shepherd. He knows what we need. He never gets tired of being interrupted by our needs. And he is the only one who can provide for our needs. These are the three things we're going to see about Jesus, our perfect shepherd, this morning. So let's start with this. He knows what we need. He knows what we need. Notice how the passage opens there in verse 30. It's the disciples who are taking center stage in that first verse, they're coming back from having been sent with Jesus' own authority uh, to conduct uh, mission endeavors. They've been casting out demons, they've been healing, they've been, they've been preaching, and people have been coming to uh, repentance. Uh, they have come back and we're told that they're telling Jesus all the ministry success stories. They're telling Jesus all that they taught and did. So it's a lot like, Jesus, you wouldn't believe it. Okay, like we, like we showed up and the guy couldn't walk. And then Andrew, no, it was, was Andrew, no, it was Philip. It was Philip. He put his hands on his legs and prayed for him. And for the first time, the man stood up. Jesus, you, it was like you were there. It, it, was, like, it was like you were there, except it was Philip. It was, and we all know Philip can, can do these things. I mean, this is amazing that you've sent us out with your authority. And then we preached. And yes, like you said, some people rejected, but many people came to know the Lord. Right? And just think of them, you know. High decimal, speed-talking report, interrupting, stumbling over one another to tell Jesus all the things that they taught and said. And Jesus says, yeah, let's go away for a while. <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, let's get away to a desolate place by ourselves with no people around. Now, now, I don't know what you hear when you, when you hear that in, in the text. If something, and you says, well, goodness gracious. I mean, couldn't Jesus have entered into the joy of the, the moment? I mean, didn't he just, can't, can't he just kind of read the mood of the Spirit? I mean, this is a time to be excited with the disciples. Well, we do see times where Jesus engages in that way with his disciples. But I'd like to suggest that, that Jesus sees what these sheep need. In this moment, they didn't need any more excitableness about all the things that they had done in ministry. 
Jesus spots their need. And he says, you need to get away for a while to a desolate place to rest. What do you think is going on here? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you as I read this, I'll tell you what I'm calling it. Uh, Jesus is entering his disciples into the first phase of ministry success detox program. They are really excited about what they have done. Really excited about it. Too excited about it. Maybe so excited about it that they've begun to lose grip on the fact that they didn't do it. But that it was him who was doing it through them. In many ways, what we're seeing Jesus with the wisdom of discernment with all the sheep in this text is knowing what they need. In this moment, he didn't need to fan into flame their ministry fervor. I mean, let's, let's be Peter in this text for a second. He's ready for round two. He's going to go save the world single-handedly now. And Jesus says, come away for a while to a desolate place and rest. You need to come down from the success and remember what's true and what you need. You know, as I have walked through ministry, walked with a lot of people in ministry over the years, I, as I was reading the, this text thinking, oh, this is Jesus' protective plan to keep his disciples from ministry burnout. They probably are not even aware of how tired they are because they've been running on adrenaline and the Spirit's strength. They've seen amazing things. They're ready to kind of go through the night and continue in ministry. But eventually, they're just humans. They are but dust. They're going to crash and burn. They're more exhausted than they even know that they are. Jesus says, come away to a desolate place that we can, we can rest a while. Exhaustion plus success, bordering on idolatry, maybe now beginning to think this ministry has more to do about us than about God actually working through us, is a recipe for disaster. Jesus wants them to get away. He, he wants them to go off grid for a little while. Silent solitude by yourself. Where the yapping of the crowd is not at your ear. Where the demands and the pressures of ministry are not right at your feet. And regain perspective. Recharge your batteries so that you'll be ready to be refreshed and re-enter into ministry. We see this pattern with Jesus over and over in the gospel, don't we? You know, the people are so excited about all of his ministry and everything he's done. They're about to take him by force and make him king. And he withdraws from the crowd to a quiet place. Over and over, Jesus paying attention to the spirit and the soul and the need of people. And not pandering to what looks like the need of the hour or where the energy is surrounding. But paying attention to the spiritual drumbeat that's underneath it all. And he says, I know what you need. I'm the good shepherd. Let's go away to a desolate place and get some rest for a while. It could be that some of us, as we've entered into the space together this morning, we need to hear Jesus say to us, come away to a desolate place by yourself for a while. When was the last time you were by yourself? 
When was the last time you were by yourself? You're with Jesus alone. Maybe the Bible open, maybe not. Prayerfully sitting with him. Offloading your cares. Resting at his feet. When was the last time you were there? Oh, Nate, there's so much to do. Oh, I know. (laughs) I know. There were people dying of diseases. There were souls where eternity hung in the balance. And you know what Jesus is saying to the disciples? You're not their savior. And he's saying that to you and me today. Come away to a desolate place. Uh, Be by yourself. Rest with me. I'll do all the heavy lifting. You give it to me. You see how kind our shepherd is? You see how perfect our shepherd leader is? Attentive to our needs, calling us into a rest that we would probably never take for ourselves. Because he wants to be there with us. I want you to see that Jesus knows what it is that you need. He knows what it is that you need right now. But I want you to see this secondly about about Jesus. Notice that he never tires of being interrupted by our needs. (laughs) I was just completely struck by this in in reading the text. I I was so encouraged by this. That even Jesus' plans to get away to a desolate place don't work. Did you notice that? Verse 33, now many saw them going, that's the disciples and Jesus, saw them getting in the boat and going and recognized them. Oh, oh, there they are, right? And they ran there on foot. I mean, these are some fast men and women. Like, you know, they're cutting across the sea. They're like going the long version and they arrive before they get there. That's the urgency to be with Jesus. And now his disciples, right? They're, they, you know, they're, they're coming into their own. They've got their own ministry platforms now. And so they come from all the towns around gathered on the sea. And when the boat shows up at the desolate place where they are going to get some R&R, there's the crowd, now, is there anything worse than this? Like, I mean, you know this, right? You've had the longest week in the world. You've just put the kids down at night. You're going to, you know, put the tea bag in the, in the, in the hot water, and you're going to sit on your couch. You're going to read a book. You're going to watch a movie. You're going to do nothing whatsoever. And you hear, Mom. Right? I can't sleep. I had a bad dream. Right. Come on down, honey. Yeah, come on, come on. Down. Right? Right? All right. This is that moment. This is, you know, your boss calling you way after 5 p.m. and saying, like, everything is on fire and only you have the extinguisher. <laughs> right? This is only you have the extinguisher. This is your moment to shine. And you'll be up all night, right? Working the, like, this, this is that moment for Jesus and his disciples. Now, we don't have the disciples' response in this moment. I I'm, won't even imagine, but I know what it is. But here is Jesus' response, verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They didn't have, they didn't have a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Here is this, this planned time for rest and relaxation, rudely sabotaged <laughs> by needy sheep making all kinds of expectations and demands on, 
on the time of Jesus and his disciples, their objective is totally different than to launch into one of the largest crowds we've seen so far in Mark and the needs of this ministry moment. And notice Jesus doesn't roll his eyes. He doesn't mutter under his breath. He doesn't even do as I have done. Like, I'm going to smile and act like I like this. He doesn't do that. He didn't perform his way through it. The, the description of Jesus is about his heart, not his performance in this moment. He had compassion on them. That's what he, that, that's a, that was his default setting when he saw the needs of the people before him. Compassion on them. His heart literally melts when we run around the edge of the sea to go to the desolate place to stop him with the demands. Oh, Jesus, can you do this? Could you you do this for me? Like, his heart melts towards us in that moment. Now, for me, this was very important to just ask the question this way. Maybe this is helpful for you, but certainly was for my own soul's reflection is... How often do you think, whether it's with your prayers or whatever it is that's going on in your life, which always seems to be more than you can handle, when you come to Jesus, do you think, I'm sure I'm bothering him, right? Oh, no, I'm going to have to pray again about that thing. He hates hearing that from me. He's so tired of me coming to him with this need. He's sick of it. And there's a cosmic eye roll. In your, in your thoughts with regards to how the heart of the Lord is engaging with you. You think he's up there going, goodness, son, daughter, I've told you a million times what you need to do here. I've, I've given you all that you need. And it's like you just don't get it. You're like, you know, you know, like that's kind of his spirit, right? As we're addressing him in prayer. And we think we're just bugging, we're bothering him. He's, he's, he doesn't want to speak to us, which is why, how often do we make prayer our last resort because our spirit thinks that about his heart. Prayer's a last resort because we think that's his heart really towards us. He just doesn't, he doesn't want to hear with us. We're bothering him with our, our needs. He has compassion on them. His heart melts towards you in that moment. You have never interrupted the Father with your needs. Where he has wished or thought, I could be about something more important than this. That's never happened. It's never happened. It never will happen. You have never bothered him with your needs. The thing that bothers him is that you don't bring your needs to him. You you do realize that. That's what bothers him. Is when, as sheep, we don't acknowledge our neediness for the shepherd. The disciples are about to have to learn that lesson here in this text. That's his kindness towards them as he tests them in this text. One of the the soul-searching things I was doing for, for me, just in this in terms of my own heart, was... It's like, I want this to be my heart, right? I, I will admit to you when I get my 
my, my plans get interrupted, I do not immediately feel compassion um, for the people, who, uh, whoever they may be, who, who have interrupted my, my plans, whatever it is that they are. But I, I started to just think, okay, if I desire for the heart of ministry to be reflective of the heart of Jesus, it would mean that when my plans get interrupted... I immediately have compassion for those who are in need before me. Lord, give me that heart, right? Just, Lord, I want that heart. And then as I was reflecting on it, Lord, I want that heart, then I begin to think, well, wait, I don't have that heart. That's not me. That grieves me. <laughs> and then I begin to go, but wait, God wants me to bring that to him. And he delights it when I bring that to him, which he has compassion on me in the midst of that, which you know what that does? It softens me. So that when I'm interrupted next, I can be closer to a place of compassion than maybe I've ever been. But it's going to require coming back there over and over and over. Coming to him as the patient, faithful, gracious shepherd that he is. Who just longs for me to talk to him even more than I do with the needs that I have. He is the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep, isn't he? That's what he is. That's, that's who he is. That's his heart. Jesus never tires of being interrupted by our needs. Now, I'm going to move to point three, but let those two just sit on you. He knows exactly what it is that you need, and he never tires of you bringing his needs, your needs to him. Just let those take hold. Now, thirdly, only he can provide for our needs, okay? Only he can provide for our needs. We'll spend a few minutes here. Now, here's what I want you to take in as we look at point three. In love, God continues and will continue in your life and in my life to put us in situations where we are way out of our league. He will continue to do that. Where you are in over your head more than you even know yourself to be. He's going to continue to do that. He's very faithful in this. So that you come to him with your needs. He's so committed to this that he's going to keep putting you in those situations. So you're going, oh, I'm just having a really hard time doing that. Well, just wait and watch. Because he's going to unbuild your pride, he's going to unbuild your self-sufficiency, and he's going to he's going to bring he's so, he loves you so much he's going to keep bringing you to that place until you start going oh I get it I need him like always exactly exactly all right he's going to keep doing that now if you just look and we're not going to take the time to do this but if you just look through the Bible with that theme in mind and you go Moses was he in over his head all the time. Joshua, in over his head, I'm not even going to go into Canaan if you don't go with me. <laughs> don't even send me if you're not going to go with me. Esther, negotiating with the king of Persia. Ruth, Elijah, Elisha, Joseph, Paul, Jeremiah. I could keep going. It's a pervasive theme 
<laughs> he does this everywhere. Everybody's in over their heads. It's the nature of things. Such is the case here. Such is the case here. 5,000 men. We're not even talking women and children in this text. We're, we're probably, by reasonable explanation, sort of, sort of projections, we're looking at 20,000 people, probably modestly. They're in a desolate place. It's late in the day. <laughs> the, the disciples are like, See, so see this? Does Jesus see the situations? You see how this is going to go south on us here pretty soon. I mean, this is a very desperate circumstance. Nobody has a place to stay. There are no, there, there's no food. And, and, you know, you can just you can hear them. You know how desperate situations turn into volatile situations when everybody gets hungry. You know how that happens? Let's just say 20,000 people hungry, no Hilton, no, no continental breakfast, no, no, nothing available for these people. And so the disciples go, hey, Jesus, you know, even the best conferences take breaks. Um, the hour is late. We're in a desolate place. Send them away into, now I love this, into the countryside to get something to eat. Yeah, go find a blackberry, you know. Or I'm not, what are they... It's very interesting, the language. Go, go to the countryside, desolate place. Go to the countryside. Go, go to the villages. Because they're, the, they're in a desolate place. Just, just like send them on their way. Hope for the best. And, and you can hear the disciples in this. They, they realize, we don't know what to do in this circumstance. They're in over their heads. And Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. Now just take that in for a minute. You give them something to eat. Now, you may you think to yourself, like, my goodness, that sounds like a test. Bingo. <laughs> it, it is. John uses that very language in this miracle. We're actually told that Philip and Jesus are the ones who had this conversation. Mark is giving us more of a, a generalized recounting. But this conversation between Philip and Jesus is where, where they're having this dialogue. And, and it says, John gives us a little inspired commentary. After Jesus says, how are we going to feed these people? You give them something to eat. John says, he said this as a test. For he knew what he would do. Isn't that so helpful? Thank you, John, for writing those words. Right? Mark didn't give those to us, but John gave those to us. He said this as a test, for he knew what he would do. Jesus ain't worried about this. He's not worried. We're like, feed these people. We're stressing out. This is a nightmare. I've just been given an impossible task. And he's like, this is going to be fascinating. I, I just sit there for a minute because there are all kinds of places in our lives where we're right there. Whether it's with re rebellious children who we have no idea what to do. Whether it's a mystery regarding our health that we can't get figured out. Physical, mental, emotional, whatever. Whether it's a strain or a stress in a relationship, whether it's a dark place in our souls, maybe traumatically in our past that we've never been able to even identify, much less overcome. I don't know what it is. 
But I, I just know the human predicament, and there's not a pew in here where that's not a part of the story of what's unfolding. And we're saying that's an impossible task. There's no way I'm going to be able to get to this or get through this. Jesus already knows what he's going to do. He already knows. He already knows. He says this to you. He's given this to you as a test. What's the test? Okay, like, what's, the, what's the test? Like, like I think, oh boy, oh, he said it as a test. Oh, oh, great. oh, great. So this is where I get publicly humiliated. Oh, oh, I see, right, right. That's how I, you know, initially hear test. Okay, I miserably fail, you know. And he goes, so the disciple, I mean, there's sarcasm here in the text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll go with 200 denarii into the local village and we'll buy a bite for everybody. Right? And literally, it's, it's sarcastic in the text. Notice Jesus does not pick it up. He says, well, how many loaves do you have? And they're like, he's serious. Like he, keep, he, keep, he keeps going. <laughs> he's serious. All right. And then we're told in another parable, right? Or another passage on this text, we're told that they ransacked a boy's lunch, right? And, and they found five loaves and two fish. And they're like, you know, you know here's, a, here's a, bring the boy. Jesus, we have five loaves and two fish. Should we send everybody away? Are you ready to send everybody away now? You know, and he go, yeah, that'll work. That'll be great. Set those right there. And then Jesus proceeds to give thanks for the bread. To break it and give it to his disciples. And as they distribute it, it multiplies. Now, I, I like you, probably, I, I'm, if I can get in your mind, you're like, how did this work? You know, like, did like loaves start popping up or... You know, did they start breaking it off and it just didn't diminish? Like, how did this, how did this happen? And I, it's like, you can imagine the first disciples getting that loaf and be like, and you go to the first group of 50 and you've got, you know, one loaf. You, go, <laughs> you know, it's got to go a long way. We got to make it last, right? That's the step. And then somewhere along the way, they're like, can I have seconds? And you're like, yeah. There's, there's plenty. Can I have third? Weirdly, you, you can. And right, it just started happening. Amazingly, it multiplies. It, it multiplies. Now, what was the test? The test was whether they would bring the impossible task to him. That was the test. That was the test. Would they recognize that what he gave them was absolutely impossible? And the only way for these people to be fed is for them to bring their task to him. Do you see, Jesus is not looking for a funding plan as to how to feed these people. 
He's not looking for loaves and fish. That's really not what he's looking for. You know what he's looking for? Faith. Faith. Now, just to keep in perspective, these are the same disciples who were boasting about all they could do a few verses ago. Oh, how forgetful we are. They'd seen demons cast out. They'd seen people healed. They saw people repent and turn to God through their preaching. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat there. <laughs> what are you talking about? I remember what happened with the woman in Cana. But uh, this is different. <laughs> this, is, this is bigger. There, there's no way. And immediately, they moved from faith to works. They move from trust in Jesus to the cratering pressure of self-performance. What was the test? They would bring it to him. That they would say, you give them something to eat. And they would say, only you, Lord, can feed them. We will do whatever it is you call us to do, but only you can feed them. Lord, only you know how to feed them. There, there's, nothing, there's nothing we can bring. Only you know how to feed them. Do you see, that's the story. We, we know that's the story because ultimately in the, in the text, by the rhythm of the verbs that are given to us here in Mark chapter 6, it's very clear, and I think by all of the gospel writers presenting this miracle, it's quite clear that the focus of this text is is on seeing Jesus as our ultimate meal, our ultimate shepherd and provider. You see, when he offers that prayer and a blessing, and he breaks the bread and he gives it to his disciples, you should, especially you cornerstone folks, should expect to hear, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me. Now that's not in the text, but did you, you, heard, you heard the verbs, didn't you? took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. That's Mark 14. We're in Mark 6. That's the Last Supper. That's the Lord's Supper. That's what we're going to partake of here in just a minute. When Jesus is feeding the 5,000 in this text, the miracle, ultimately, is not that 5,000 people get fed. The miracle is, as John tells us, that the Father has given us the true bread that comes down from heaven that will give life to the whole of the world. That's the miracle. You see, we might look out, as we often do, on the act of the miracle in the ministry and think to ourselves, that's awesome. But you know what's awesome? Is that the bread of Jesus has been given for us. These same people got hungry again. We read about it in John chapter 6. In fact, Jesus is going to chastise them. Because they keep following him after this moment. And they show up again, the whole crowd. And he looks at them and he says, I know why you're here. Because you got your fill of the loaves. You got your bellies full. You got a free meal. 
I get it. I see why you're following me. And then he says to them, don't labor for the food of this world, but for the food that will last into eternity, which the Son of Man will give to you. And the the crowd says, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who receives me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. You see, Jesus is not simply providing for our needs. Jesus is the provision for our need. He is the meal that we need. You see, right now, in all of our lives, in a variety of different ways, we need to hear that. It may be over fret over finances. It may be at the fact that we've thrown so much resources down a black hole and nothing seems to be working. And the challenges of our lives just continue to spiral out of control. But Jesus wants you to know together today that it's not just the issue that he's here to meet and provide for. It's him who is your provision. And might it be that the thing that he's calling you today is to actually give up trying in your own strength. Trying to build this life and lick all the troubles and challenges and lay yourself freshly at his feet and know that he is enough. That he is enough. That he's got this. He already knows the answer. He already knows what he's going to do. He already knows what he's going to do. Can you trust him with that? Can you trust him with that? As we set our hearts towards the Lord this morning, let's pray that he would indeed weave this reality into our hearts together as a congregation. Let's pray to that end. Father, in heaven now, as we rest in this word that you have given to us prayerfully, as we recognize there are no resources of which we can accomplish or of which we can pull from that would truly meet the needs that are before us, we would ask that you would hear the prayers of your people now and that you would weave the truths of this text into our souls. Father God, your steadfast love is better than life. And we pray that you would be our God and cause us to earnestly seek you and thirst for you. Father God, listen to the prayers of your people. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord Jesus. You are the one and only mediator between God and man. And you gave yourself as a ransom for all. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. We thank you for the reconciling work of the cross through your own blood. Lord Jesus, listen to the prayers of your people. 
Lord, hear our prayer. Holy Spirit, our hearts yearn for you. And you tell us, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Draw us near to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Holy Spirit, listen to the prayers of your people. Lord, hear our prayer. Hear our prayer. 